I'm offensive guard Brandon Brooks, Brandon Brooks. Brandon Brooks of the Philadelphia Eagles. With Dave Spadero. Welcome, Eagles everywhere. It's the Eagles Live podcast presented by Lincoln Financial Group. Eagles insider Dave Spadero with you. And we've got a great show for you today. Our aim here is to bring you closer to the Philadelphia Eagles with the players, with the coaches, and with key people in the organization whose jobs are very interesting. So today, we're going to be talking with John Ferrari, and we're going to go through some of the new rules that the NFL owners have set forth for the 2019 season, just so that you have clarity for this season ahead. Eagles one step closer to the April 25th draft, so all of those pre-draft preparations taking place at the NovaCare Complex. No real news to talk about. The Eagles continuing to build the roster, which now stands at 71 players on the way to 90 for training camp in South Philadelphia. All right, let's get right to it here. I, I love this uh, guy, John Ferrari. Welcome to the Novacare Complex, our studio here. Quite a studio. You're a little nervous about it? No, no. Yeah, you're I'm thrilled. To, I'm excited to be here. I want here. you to open and up here, John. I there's know you're, a, you're this, is a big, this is a big building, and there's lots of rooms where we don't go into. So okay. it's the first time I've ever been in the studio. So Can you? Nice. Uh, so for anybody out there, look, you know, there are many ways to get to the NFL. You don't have to be a player or a coach to make it to the big leagues. So John is the... Vice President of Football Operations and Compliance. In a nutshell, what does that mean? So uh, when I came here, my fourth season here, and when I came here from the league office, I was well-versed in the rules. I worked for an office at the league office called the Management Council, who manages the relationship between the Players Association and the the clubs. So I was well-versed in all sorts of different rules. There's a lot of different manuals that clubs have to follow to make sure they're in, you know, uh, abiding by all the various league rules. I was very versed in them. So when, when we talk about compliance, we just talk about making sure that the Philadelphia Eagles are playing by the rules that the league sets. Did you grow up saying, I want to be a compliance officer every in the day. NFL? Yes, every day. Every, every day. <laughs> uh, most kids, they grow up, they want to score touchdowns, they want to throw for touchdowns. You grew up wanting to be a compliance officer. How did you get, you get no, to the NFL? It's like, I, know you're, I know you're kidding, but it, it's, it's, when you talk about, you know, when you talk about compliance, it, it helps us on the field. Like we, Doug talks a lot about eliminating distractions. How do we have as few distractions as we can. Well, that goes for the front office too. You know, Howie does an incredible job and, you know, it's my job to assist him to make sure that there is nothing that we're doing that's going to be a distraction or get in the way of making this team better, putting us in the best position to win. So that's really, really where that is. What's your path, John? How'd you, how'd you get to the NFL? I was, uh, I was at the league office, like I said, for, uh, just about 10 years. And, um, I had like, and I had met everyone at every club, interacted with all the clubs there, but I had a particularly good relationship with Howie. And um, he reached out to me a few years ago when he was uh, putting his staff together, and it's been a good, a really good match. How'd you get to the to the league office? What's the path? I mean, you didn't major in compliance in college, right? Yeah, I worked on. uh, I worked. It's a fascinating story. Yeah, I worked on Broadway plays and musicals for a long time, and after coming out of college, in uh, management capacity, so dealing with the. Uh, largely dealing with the relationship between the unions, the different theatrical unions and the shows. Um, so the logistics of the yes. performance, no, the, sometimes and oftentimes the logistics of the business operation behind the performance, um, making sure that the the union contracts were executed properly, that we were abiding by all the rules. Again, compliance is always, you know, making sure that you're 
doing things the way they're supposed to be done and everyone's happy and there's no conflict between the various unions involved in the, the endeavors. And what so. kind of background do you have, John? And how do you learn about compliance? Is it a law background? No, I'm not. I mean, I've always worked with lawyers, but now my, my background was it, it was, you know, more in when I was involved in the uh, in the theatrical side. It was all it was more from a, a performance and background, not as an actor, but as in, in a director and production background. So cool. It, it, would you compare at all the um, thrill of putting on a performance and seeing it come to life and be executed on stage? which is a wonderful experience that everybody should have because it really is. I, I love theater. Would you compare that at all to an NFL game? Yeah, it's, um, it's obviously the, at a different degree what we do here. And um, there's a different level of excitement and enthusiasm, but there's a similar adrenaline rush of, oh, people are excited, people are engaged. Um, you're, you're making people happy. People are invested in what's going on here. Um, whether it's something on stage or whether it's, you know, this team, um, you know, you could see it on the faces of everyone at the parade, how uh, invested everyone is. And, um, you know, I have roots in this region, so I understand how everyone, how, how invested everyone was. So, yeah, there's definitely a similarity there. How, does, how would one who's listening who says, hey, that, that's a good path. I, I wouldn't mind checking that out in the NFL. A, is there a John Ferrari with every team? And B, what advice would you have for people who might want to take that path? Yeah, every team, all 32 teams are different. So I can't say for sure whether there's someone. I think, you know, titles are very fluid in the NFL. So, you know, if you look across teams, um, people's responsibilities are, you know, uh, across different positions sometimes. You know, a lot of times, you know, some of the things that I do uh, might fall under the responsibilities of the salary cap person, say. And some of the things I do might fall under a coaching assistant, say. You know, everybody, the way how we structured it is the way how we structured it. So there's definitely not... It's not one size fits all. It's not like every organization. Every organization builds that front office the way they want to do it. It's it's fascinating because the league is always changing. The fan base wants to stay on top of what's happening, and frankly, it's difficult to do that sometimes with the pace of of the change in the NFL. There's no question. You know, so all right. No so the, in March in Phoenix at the NFL annual meeting, the league, well, the league made some changes, and let's go through some of these rule changes here, John. Uh, in no particular order, just so we can explain in detail to fans what to expect in 2019. The experimental kickoff rules from the 2018 season are now permanent. Yeah. Uh, wh- how'd that come about? What data did the league see from 2018 that uh, they said, hey, l- this is working. Let's keep it in, in place for 2019 and beyond. Yeah. And before we get into the specifics of the kickoff rule, I just want to say something that, you know, Jeffrey's leadership in this, in in terms of rules, in terms of how we're moving forward and how we're evolving the game, is second to none. Agreed. He does an incredible job. And then Doug and Howie's commitment to, you know, and this is, you know, and I, I assist them in this, to helping our players, making sure we understand the rule book inside and out, how rules are applied, how they're officiated, how we go about doing that, I think is really uh, at the top of the league. So I'm really proud of how we approach that. Yeah, when Jeffrey met the media in Phoenix, he really spent a lot of time talking about how vital it was for him and the league to maintain two things, the integrity of the game and the safety of the game for the players. And these new rules really reflect 
both of those ideals. And Jeffrey's very fan-focused, too, so he wants games to be exciting. He wants us to win games. He wants us to do it in an exciting way. He wants fans to be engaged. Um, you know, he appreciates the entertainment value of the game, and he's really it's something he's really committed to and is important to him. Um, so it's very inspiring working with him on, on a lot of these. All right, let's talk about the yeah. kickoff rule. So what kickoff worked rule, in 2018? The kickoff, listen, the kickoff rule is all about safety. So, you know, eliminating wedge blocks, eliminating the run-up at the kickoff. It's, the, it was, it's all about player safety. Um, it accomplished there were fewer collisions that, of the, the type that they were trying to eliminate. So um, the league was very happy with it. Clubs were very happy with it. We adapted to it. Um, you know, there were – situationally, there were – you know, there were, there were uh, more returns, but they were done in a safer way, if I can say. So, Fewer concussions, right? Oh, definitely. Like way down, like way 39%. Down. 29%, 29% overall, um, and the kickoff was a big part of that. Um, so, uh, yeah, no, everybody was, was really happy with where the kickoff was trending. You know, everybody – it's important, I think, in general to protect the kickoff – to keep it part of the game, to not just eliminate it and, and create something in its place. So, you know, making these rules permanent is a step towards keeping it. Uh, I love the kickoff. Yeah, it's great. I love the kickoff. It's a, it, to me, it's, a, it's like a triple in baseball. Yeah. I'm glad that the, that the kickoff stays in the game. I'm glad that it's safer for the players, and those rules are permanent. No okay. question. Another one, abolish all blindside blocks anywhere on the field. Personal foul, 15-yard penalty. Uh, this pen, This is something that I don't think – it sounds like defensive players may be happy about it. Yeah, yes. Offensive players not particularly well, happy about it? That, that's, that's right. I mean, so there's, uh, to me, there were three big rule changes in terms of new things that the players need to be educated on. The change in the blindside blocks is, is the big one. So think about it this way. A return, a fumble return, an interception return, a punt return, any type of return you see on the field, when a player's blocking back towards their own goal line, okay? So that's where you see those big collisions. Now, those players who are being, being if you're a guy being blocked, I'm blocking you towards my own, my own goal line. You're being blocked. You're protected. You're a defenseless player. So you are protected under the old rule from low hits and high hits. Um, but I could legally contact you forcibly as long as I'm not doing it with my head, with my shoulder in the target zone, basically known as below the head and neck area to above the knee. And now you can't. That's out now. So Even if your shoulders are turned? Even if your shoulders are turned, even if you are not leading with your head, you may not block forcibly in any way because what was happening was there were still – Levels, collision levels and injuries that resulted from those types of blocks that they wanted to get out of the game. You know, you don't see many of them, those blocks. So what we, what we talk about now is the high school rule and the college rule's always been, the college rule's a little bit more vague. The high school rule has always been on a block back towards your own goal line, you lead with your hands. So that's one of the things that they talked about when we passed this rule is lead with your hands. You can still hit hard, but if you're leading with your hands, you're not going to have that kind of collision that they, that they are looking to get rid of. So, okay. so, that's, so your, that's your coaching teaching point. Lead with your hands. Okay. Lead, lead with your hands. Get your shoulders and your head out of it. Lead with your hands. Get in the way. You know, you can get in the way. You can, you, can do, you can create the space that you want for your return. It's like on a punt return. You know, the field's spaced, and the returner is looking for creases. You can get in the way. You can lead with your hands. You can make contact with your opponent without that type of force that they're looking to eliminate from the game. So I think we're well positioned to abide by this rule, to stay penalty-free in this, in this area. Um, but it's something we'll work on through the spring and training camp. I, I want to save the big one for the end. So we'll, sure. we'll get to the uh, pass interference 
and and how that all plays out, played out, etc. In just a moment here, uh, let's see. Let's go with this one. Allow officials to disqualify players for flagrant quote unquote football plays in addition to quote unquote non football plays. What does that mean? Yeah. So it, last year they passed a rule that the the command center, the officiating command center in New York, could look at could look at dead ball personal fouls, um, fighting, that type of thing, um, punches that were thrown after the, you know, in a pile kind of thing. And they could make, they could, in, as long as there was a flag on the field, they could initiate in, ejections. They could decide that lot rises to the level of ejection as long as there was a flag on the field. Now that rule has been expanded that they can make that decision for football plays, plays that happen during the course of action. Again, as long as there's a flag on the field. So there was, the example from last year, there was a play in Cincinnati. Uh, it was in Indianapolis, Cincinnati, even Indianapolis. Andrew Luck was hit late in the head. The, the referee on the field threw them out, threw the, ejected the player. It was one of the few ejections for football actions. Um, now, if the referee threw that flag but did not eject that player, New York could do it. If they, if with, they, the re- with the use of a replay? With the use of a replay. Okay. Yes. Oh, that's a good point. As long as they viewed it as it rise to the, bub- uh, to the level of – this is a. This was an extra. Play, this was a play. This was a. This was a willful violation of the rules in an attempt to injure or attempt to, you know, not make a football play during the course of action. So there, it's a high standard, and you're not going to see a rash of ejections, but it gives New York a little bit more latitude. Okay, allow teams to enforce a personal foul or unsportsmanlike conduct penalty committed during a touchdown on either the try point after or two point conversion or on the ensuing kickoff what in the world does that mean this is a big one this is actually this is actually a this is a sneaky big change and one of the things is that so if you had a let's say a taunting foul during the course of a touchdown or right after a touchdown in the immediate action after a score you had a personal foul unnecessary roughness unsportsmanlike conduct those would always those were bridge fouls what they called meaning they would bridge to the kickoff you're going to have a try but that foul would get assessed on the kickoff now you have the option and so let's say dave let's say there's a tie game let's say the touchdown results in a tie game and i'm we're on defense now now that extra point, instead of being a 35-yard extra point, is going to be a 50-yard extra point. So they, they score, the opposing team scores, and they taunt the Eagles. They, they tie the game. They, they, the flag goes down for taunting. We'll have the option. The, op, the Eagles can either take, say, move back 15 yards on the PAT or move back 15 yards on the kickoff. Yeah, or, or the two-point conversion exactly. goes back 15, which is 15 huge, yards. Which is huge. The other side is if we're on offense and we score a touchdown and the defense commits the personal foul, then that two-point conversion, say, we could move that up from – we could move that two-point conversion up from the two to the one, which is a big difference when you're, when you're talking about the, the red zone, the goal line like that. So we, we'd have that option and we can consider all of our options. Or if it was an extra point, say, we could move the extra point up. Uh, half the distance to the goal. So we have – it gives you more options in terms of how you want to assess that foul. doesn't automatically bridge it to the kickoff. Is this the celebration? This is not the celebration rule. The celebration rule is different or is it tied into celebration, this? Celebration rule is different, but there were – um, the, the celebration rule that they changed, basically, for people who don't know, it was if you're not on the 46-man roster, you can't leave the bench area now to join the celebration. They don't want guys who are in street clothes or you know not in uniform 
to participate in those celebrations. Or, or if, what about if it's, if it's a melee on the field? And you and you are not dressed for the, that's if always you, if you leave, that's always a penalty? that's always been a foul okay. yeah this is the it's new for the celebrations because what was happening is we people clubs were getting very close to delay game fouls for having too many guys on the field the celebrations were taking too long they want to try to limit they don't want to try to curb the celebrations per se but they want to eliminate they want to trim the time a little bit I wonder if that will make teams consider who's on the sidelines it, it just you know maybe the dress players uh, who are not in, in in uniform for the game, maybe they go upstairs in, in certain could be. instances. Could be. could be. Something it takes some discipline, too, on the bench area. You know, there's a lot yeah. of, you know, you, you, so score, much emotion. you score a big touchdown. It's exciting, and people guys want to run on the field and celebrate with their teammates. The the impulse is positive. You know, you're trying to, you know, you're celebrating with your teammates. But, um, you know, we got to be very careful, and we're consciously looking at that. You know, when we score a touchdown, I enjoy it, but then I'm immediately looking at the play clock and looking, worrying about the, the, the try. You know, there's, you know, we got to make sure that we are precise in what we do and that we're not, you know, we're being, we're on time with everything. So here's another but that, one. But that, that bridge play, that's a big, that's a sneaky big play. That's going to make, that could make a difference in a key spot. How many, how many times was such wow. a penalty perhaps enforceable last there year? There four. There okay. were, I, I saw four throughout the league, but there was one. So you in, literally watch every game and every play? Yeah. Okay. Um, there was, um, I wonder what you did all day. Now I know <laughs> there, was, there was a play. There was an interception for a touchdown in, uh, Houston and Buffalo and it put, it was a tie game. So it put Houston up six with about a minute and a half on the, on the pick six. But, and there was a taunting foul on the inter, on the interception return. And so it was, an, it, it was a scenario where I was looking at, well, wow, Buffalo would have pushed them back to maybe make that extra point more difficult to stay up six and then potentially have a minute and a half to try to go win the game. Um, so it was an interest. That was a scenario where I thought, you know, you really got to keep it's – a, it's important to be disciplined, to play disciplined football and to not put yourself in that position. So Interesting. Yep. Very, very cool. All right, here we go. Change how double rules are enforced after a change in possession. <laughs> I mean, uh, what America wants to know is enforcement of a double after. That's <laughs> yeah, really, for sure. Yeah, that's the most. Everybody I'm, going. What is this mumbo jumbo here? Yeah. So think about it this way: it, it's as if on a, on, a, on a change of possession, so a kickoff. You know, people don't think about this, but a kickoff is a change of possession. A is kicking off to B. B retains possession, and then there's two. There's a foul on both teams. Okay, they offset, and the spot of the ball it would be as if there was a penalty on the returning team, the team that gained possession. So they get it at the the less advantageous spot to them, which is where the penalty would have been enforced had they only committed the foul. Okay. They're just trying to make it, they're trying to clean that up for the officials. The officials have to think of so much. They, the officials have a, what's called a hopper book and they put penalties into different hoppers as they're sorting it out. The hoppers help them determine what's our, what is our procedure for enforcing this foul? Okay. So this is this type of play. Then it's going to have this type of enforcement. What they're tr- a lot of these rules, like these, this kickoff, the touching of the kickoff, this, uh, the enforcement of a double after, it tr- it's trying to clean up their enforcement process for them. That sounds to me like in the course of a game, this could become a bit cumbersome, a bit time-consuming as officials try to figure out what's happening and articulate That's that right. to the fans. That's right. So let's not, That's right. it, let's not have clean, it happen. Clean it up for yeah. them. Let them get, let them get the spot uh, easier. Make the spot more equitable, and off we play. All right, you ready for the big one here? Yeah, let's do it. Pass interference, offensive and defensive pass interference. A one-year experiment to make the following plays reviewable, subject to coaches' challenges outside of the final two minutes of each half, and subject to booth review 
it within the two-minute window of each half. Offensive and defensive pass interference, whether called or not. Scoring plays and turnovers negated by penalties. Any extra point or two-point conversion attempt. Let's begin with the pass interference, how it came to be. What kind of impact, John, will this have on the game of football? Yeah, so replay was brought back in 99. And then in 2015, uh, New York was given authority to uh, make the decisions, to, the, to try to uniformly enforce the, the replay decisions. This is the biggest change since 99. This is a bigger change than that because what I think people don't necessarily understand is that there's an officiating philosophy that's been in place since the league started that replay doesn't put fouls on the field. Okay, so under the current rule, under the old rule, you people, everybody who's watched a game has seen this. Too many men on the field, that was a penalty that could be created in replay because you could clearly count. I got 12 guys on the field, then that's too many men. Or the quarterback's behind, past the line of scrimmage when he throws the pass, it's an illegal forward pass. Those are the two penalties that could be created through replay. Now we have a situation where the most significant penalty in sports, in football, I should say, which is pass interference, and I say significant because it's a spot foul. It could be a 20-yard foul. It could be a 50-yard foul. It could be a 70-yard foul. It's the most significant penalty in our rule book in terms of yardage. How many yards a year, a season? For example, do you have that number? The Eagles last year were affected by pass interference for how many yards, one way I, or the other? You know what? I don't have the it numbers. Hundred, it's hundreds I, it's of hundreds. yards? Okay. It's hundreds, yeah. Many I, hundreds of yards? Yes, many okay. hundreds of yards. Okay. And I don't have ours in front of me. Right now, this year, and um, as the season went, as the especially the second half of the season, we were very low in pass interference fouls. Um, we played very disciplined football the second half of the year in terms of uh, pass interference. But yeah, it's it's a it is a game changing significant foul. And now we are putting replay has the ability to put that foul on the field. So. That's why it's big. That's why it's that's what it's not just picking up the foul, but it's creating the foul. And that was a big part of the debate between the coaches and the owners and the competition committee. You know, are we do we want to put this on the field? And I think um, what happened in the NFC championship game was a big catalyst for. uh, Yes, we it's not enough to just say if there is a foul, we can look at it and pick it up. They want to also say. Yeah, we can put it that if, if it's clear and obvious, which has always been the replay standard, we can put that penalty on the field. How did what role did you have, John, leading into the uh, into the NFL annual meeting with respect to this conversations around the league, conversations with the Eagles, et cetera? And then when you're in those meetings, what actually happens? Yeah, um, well. Well, two things. We had proposed two two replay changes, one of which got adopted, which is um, turnovers and scoring plays, which are negated by penalty, are automatically subjected to replay. So the coach, the the prior rule was a coach had to make a decision whether to accept or decline the foul before that play was reviewed. Now I can say they're going to look at that play and say, yeah, that really was a touchdown, or no, that was an incomplete pass. You might want to consider declining the foul instead of accepting the foul. So that was now that was. That was our, our proposal there, and Denver had a proposal about reviewing all two-point tries, whether they were successful or unsuccessful. Those got rolled into the big offensive pass interference, defensive pass interference proposal because the competition committee overwhelmingly supported that. So ours and Denver's got rolled into it, and that got passed. The other thing we proposed along with the Rams, the Seahawks, and the Panthers was uh, – Basically, the rule that got passed for OPI and DPI, but for player safety fouls. So we, our proposal didn't have 
pass interference involved in it. It had player safety fouls in it. Um, roughing the passer, unnecessary roughness on defenseless receivers, horse collar, those kind of plays. And um, because in my mind, for my mind, those were among the least consistently officiated fouls that we have. And they're the most objective in terms of correcting them. They're written for officials to be objective. Does it check this box? Yes. Does it check this box? Yes. Does it check this box? Yes. We have a foul. And I thought that was something, and the other clubs that partnered with us agreed, is something that could be um, clearly, they could, you could apply the clear and obvious standard and replay could get it right. Competition committee didn't see it that way. They thought that this was because of the significance of pass interference, they'd rather do this. They'd rather do the pass interference. But, but I, what I am proud of, and, and this is really a credit to Jeffrey too, was the structure of our proposal, even though it was for player safety fouls and not pass interference, the structure of our proposal was largely what got passed with respect to how this will now be applied, the, the, the rule going forward. Two things. Jeffrey's role in that, I know he spoke about it, standing up in front of the committee, uh, very vocal, yeah. very supportive. Yeah. And then number two, from a fan standpoint, what can fans look forward to? How is this going to change, A, the way the game is played, and B, the way the game is watched? Well, it's going to make our job upstairs helping Doug uh, watching the monitor uh, more difficult. Yeah, so you're going to look and say, hey, we challenge that. There's a pass interference there. Yeah, and, and then, Dave, you get into the thing about do we want to be – you know, the challenges and the timeouts become more precious. So you still get to a game. Do we want to be challenging something in the first half that we normally would have when, you know, we want that for the game-ending situation where we, we want to make sure we have both those challenges for, you know, a passing situation at the end of the game? So how we value the challenges, how we use them, you know, we're going we're gonna to look at all that and evaluate how – how we do that moving forward, um, you know, and then and then the replay official is going to be able to look at after touchdowns, after turnovers, um, they're going to be able to look at. And, you know, we you know, I was just looking the other day at the AFC championship game. There were two Kansas City touchdowns in the second half that would have been reversed for offensive pass interference under this rule. So that's hmm. a big change, you know, so isn't there pass interference on just about every there's, pass? you know, there's. I wouldn't say just about every pass. There's a lot more than you think. OPI is a very, uh, it's a very difficult penalty to enforce. You know, in some ways, I think when the, when the story of this rule is told, it'll be that it won't be about defensive pass interference. It'll be about offensive pass interference Um, Mm. because offensive pass interference is it's the way the officials mechanics are. It's hard to see, but it's going to be a lot easier to see in replay. You know, you can't an offensive player can't block more than one yard beyond, beyond the line of scrimmage. Um, so the officials on field give them a healthy one, what's called a healthy one, basically one and a half yards. Now they're going to be looking strict one yard. Are you blocking at two yards? That's offensive pass interference, and we're going to bring that play back. So, so those rub routes, there's going to be a whole change in the concept of these, these route trees. No doubt about it. Yeah. No doubt about it. It's going to Which be I actually a- like. I, I don't like these picks. I don't like the moving picks. The, the, I just think it's too easy for the offense. I think so, too. And I think, though, you know, so it, it's going to be really incumbent on the players to make sure that you're precise in what you do. You know, if I'm blocking, you know, if it's a screen pass, say, you mm-hmm. know, I got to make sure the ball's in the, in the back's hands before I start blocking early. It's a... 
it really is going to be um, important to be precise in what you do and to make sure, depending on, again, it's all about situational football, and that's what Doug talks about all the time, but to make sure that we understand situational football and that you're, we're precise in what we do because the eye in the sky is going to be looking at all these, and there's always a chance to, to, to bring back the play. Do you feel we've covered that enough? Is there more you want to say on that? Because I, I know fans could they'd want to hear more all day long about this. I think that the fans are going to they're going to get enough of it in September. So that's his. <laughs> and using reviews that doesn't change scoring plays and turnovers always reviewed extra point two point conversions always reviewed correct. Yeah, had, well, had so been. but the change this year is that the an, an unsuccessful two point conversion outside of two minutes wasn't necessarily automatically reviewed. So now it is. Well, I thought every scoring play. Oh, unsuccessful. Unsuccessful right, right, two-point right. plays. So, okay. uh, and uh, yeah, so now, but I, I, well, basically what we've done is we've, ex- we've slightly expanded those automatic reviews um, just to make sure we get it right. And, it, it, you know, that could save us a challenge at a key spot. So, John Ferrari, Vice President of Football Operations and Compliance for the Philadelphia Eagles. Thank you very much for that. Now we're going to have some fun here, right? You take it, take it, no, sip no, your no, coffee. There's no fun in football. We're going te- to no. <laughs> t- we're gonna test a little bit of John Ferrari's knowledge in a couple of things. Let's I'm gonna begin test with... Your, I'm going to test your knowledge of show tunes. Though, okay. So. <laughs> I can do show tunes. Uh. Actually, not that well. Wait till you hear these tunes. But we, we've got some tunes for you. Let's begin with Your Name Trivia with John Ferrari. These questions will test how well you know famous people who have the first name of John, spelled as yours is, J-O-N. To get the answer correct, you must answer with their full name, not just John. Are you ready? Oh, yeah. This famous John fronted one of the 80s and 90s most popular bands and sang songs like Living on a Prayer and Wanted Dead or Alive. Oh, come on. John Bon Jovi. Okay. This famous John played Don Draper in the series Mad Men. John Hamm. Very good, John. This famous John has been a stand-up comedian, an MTV show host, and host of The Daily Show. Oh, John Stewart. Okay. This, this is too easy. This famous John is tied for the most consecutive games played for the Philadelphia Eagles. John Dornboss. And number five, this famous John starred in Pretty in Pink and Two and a Half Men. John Cryer. Excellent. All right, now we're going to get a little bit more difficult here. We've got, uh, we've got, Chris, where is that? Oh, here we go. We've got uh, some bizarre NFL rules. These are bizarre NFL rules. We will present you with some obscure rules. You will tell us whether they are true or false without the use of that ridiculous book that you've got in front of you. Okay. All right? I was just trying to see how many pages the rule book has because, <laughs> you know, it's a big book. And, and if, these, if they are false, you will tell us what change to what we said would make it true. Let's begin. And True or false? An NFL team that gets scored upon, meaning a field goal or a touchdown, has the choice of whether or not to receive the kickoff or kick off the ball themselves. In short, the scored-upon team can actually kick off to the team that just scored instead of receiving the kickoff. True or false? That's false. John, that's true. Really? Yeah. Oh, this is going to be fun. Oh, this is going to be fun. Wow. Okay. Okay. This, this is according to uh, Chris. Uh, what exact, uh, well, Chris Barletto, what, what exact reference did we get this from? Uh, Google. <laughs> Google and a couple of different websites that may or may not be true. All right, we'll yeah, are, you guys, are, you guys, are you guys 100%? No, I am not 100%. Oh, well, this is. Boy, <laughs> we'll go through the, go you, through you the rest of the game. Fancy I'm gonna, book, I right? think I'm right, but okay. okay. Yeah, so mean, in other words, if I, if I score a touchdown, I might say, I don't want to get the ball back. I want to kick. I don't believe that's, I mean, you could. Uh, I want the ball back. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, he said true. I, I think it's I mean, ridiculous, too. No, the team has an onside kickoff. I mean, you, you, an NFL team remedy. that gets scored upon has the choice of whether or not to receive the kickoff. 
They can say, no, no, I don't, we don't want the ball. No. I, I, I don't I don't believe that's true. But okay. I mean I mean you guys are going to Google for this, like, this, this kind of operation you're running here. Uh, clearly John, it's on at least five websites. <laughs> All right, we'll All right. look at that one. We'll look okay. at that. I'll give you guys that one. All right, here we go. When a quarterback line true or false, when a quarterback lines up under center, uh, he has to be the first player to touch the ball. If the ball is snapped between the legs of the quarterback or over his head, no other player on offense or defense can touch it. If someone on offense touches it first, it is considered a false start and a penalty. If a defender touches the ball, it is ruled dead and a five-yard penalty is assessed. You said if the quarterback lines up under center? Under center. That's false. Yeah, see, we have true for that one, too. Like, the ball, like if, the, if the guy snaps it and it hits his leg and falls down, then... No other player can recover that fumble? Yeah, Chris, what Bartolo it, explained that the, one to me. <laughs> this is either going to go poorly, this might, really this poorly, this and I'm going to walk out of, out of here. Um, the the idea is that the the quarterback has to touch the be the first person to touch the ball after the ball is snapped from the center if he's under center. Right. So okay, but so you're but, so um, the if, snap if he snaps it and, and, it, and, it, and, it, and it goes right straight down on the ground. I mean, that's I mean, how, did, how would that happens. how would that physically happen? It it in 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 all fairness, it the. Ability for this to happen is very small, but for instance, I, I guess the quarterback just wouldn't touch it. He, the center would snap it right into his butt. Something to that effect. Let's change this segment to bizarre and not necessarily <laughs> accurate. <laughs> True or false questions. That I is guess fair. That, okay. I guess. I mean, yeah. There. So obviously, there. There's a whole subset of rules for the quarterback under center versus the quarterback in shotgun. So yes, I guess I, that would make sense. But I can't imagine the scenario where the quarterback doesn't touch it. You're, that so, is. So well, if the, I, I, here's the scenario. So the quarterback guy snaps the ball. He, he he loses his grip on the ball. It hits off his his leg and it plops right down in the ground. And then the running back then the, recovers or it, the, or the or the center gets collapsed and falls on the ball. And then that would be a false start. That would be a that would be a false start. That would be that. No, yeah, what they're saying. This is it, ridiculous. <laughs> Gonna, hey, Chris, what? we're going to look it up. We're going to go back. We're gonna, we're That's gonna another one. Right. We're going to go we're gonna look it up. Okay, we're going to look go. it up. All right, uh, number three of who knows whether we're right or wrong. A team can win in overtime by nine points. True or false? I believe we're accurate on this one. Yes, the team can win in overtime. A team kicks a field goal, and then they return an interception return for six. They can win by nine. Ding, ding, ding. You got that one right. Yeah, well. We're, we're all on the same page here. We, should, we're compliant. Here. I should hope so. Okay. Yeah. A team can score three. But, you know, but, but, but I will say, but, so, but if, that was, if, we're, if we're up three and we intercept the ball, we're instructing that player to go down okay. immediately. Okay. Get possession of the ball and go down. That intercept, that the six points don't matter, but the potential of him fumbling, that's what matters. So it's hard to go against instinct and head towards the end zone, but we would want that, we would want that player to Understood. go down. Understood. Okay. Uh, the next one, a team can score three points without kicking a field goal. That's not true. That's false. <laughs> <laughs> we have true. <laughs> What's the scenario? Okay, wait, wait. Usually, so it's called a fair catch kick. Are you familiar with fair, that? Fair catch, free kick, yeah. Yeah, so it, it's not necessarily, I mean, it's not it's a It's a free kick, it's not a field goal. Right, uh, okay, correct. That's, that's fine, but then, and, but then, yes, I mean, but then a drop kick's not also, isn't technically a field goal either then. 
even though you're, 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 you're we're taking field goal as the the, the, the traditional well, I, field goal, I the guess traditional field not goal, the, not the Aussie field goal, for example. Yes, drop kick, but right? the fair catch, free kick. So the fair catch, free kick. For those who don't know, if you call a fair catch, you can take, you can then have the opportunity at any point during the game to take a free kick from the spot of that fair catch. Most, you, it's very rare to see it because most teams will either be out of field goal, the kick won't be possible because of when you're doing it. If you're doing it at the end of a half, say. Or the end of a game, or but or you want to maintain possession and have a drive to try to score a touchdown. So you rarely see the free kick, but it's a free kick without a rush. Is what is yeah. What, that, is what, that would be the main difference, and that's that's how I classify different. That's fair. The so yes. drop kick and the field goal versus yes. this. Yes. So there is a that is a the free kick. Oh, we're on a roll here. We've got two of them that we think might be somewhat yeah, accurate here. Is, Will you spend one second is, after this you going guys back go, and checking out? You guys should two. go on Jeopardy. Yeah, you guys, yeah. should, this is yeah. like yeah. Not quite accurate, Jeopardy. All right, here we go. There is a rule. Last one, John. I know you've got to get back and do something way more important than this. No, no, this is good. (laughs) There is a rule, true or false, there is a rule regarding an automatic coin toss loss. An automatic, what do you mean by automatic? It's not a really well-worded question. A a, a coin that doesn't flip? No, it's not that. There is a rule about a coin that doesn't flip. That's not what we have. Here's here's what we have. True. At the beginning, pardon me, at the beginning of the game and at the beginning of the overtime period, there is a coin toss. If one team does not get their players on the field fast enough to observe the coin toss, then they automatically are rendered losers of the toss. Yes, that's true. Yes. You have to have have the captains on the field for the coin toss in a timely manner, or not only do you lose it, but there's an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty that could be assessed if you don't... uh, Which is never happened in the history of the game, Respect right? the Quintos. No, it's happened. Is that right? Yeah, it used to happen, I mean, back in the 80s. What were they doing instead of going out for the coin toss? You, 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 whatever, Having coffee on the sideline? There's side confusion lines? on the sideline or whatever. Uh, so if, if the official flips the coin and it, it hits, were to hit a, a player, would that be? Would they redo it? If it hits a player, they would... Uh, it Lands de- on somebody's shoe. It depends example. on the referee has discretion as to whether he thinks the coin toss was, was uh, improperly... Uh, improperly... Impacted by the touching of the player, but if the coin doesn't actually flip or lands on its side, the referee has to, by rule, reflip the coin. John, we could do this all day. Um, oh yeah, no, I mean, the uh, next no, time uh, nothing in, our fans would like more. No, the next time you come in, we're going to talk about <laughs> officials in the NFL and oh, no, are they doing a great job? No, I think that's, <laughs> wait, yes, our yeah. officials, our officials are among the best in sports. They are, they, they are elite. Like, what, is, what, a, what an incredibly difficult. They job. are. They are elite. Uh, officials in sports, um, they do an incredibly good job. Do they get Do they get a bad rap? I think so. Yeah. I think they also make mistakes. I think coaches and players make mistakes too. But uh, our officials do, by and large, do a good job. And you know, it's it is an incredibly, incredibly complex game and difficult to officiate. Um, it's part of the beauty of the sport. It's complexity. And you will look up, of course, whether or not a team can, I guess. Give up the kickoff after a score. Yeah, we'll look that up. Yeah, that one. And then the quarterback under center snapping the ball. Yeah, I like the John's questions. Those the, were well, those were, were better. <laughs> those were probably much, much better research than, yeah. than these other ones. But I do have a question for you, John. Yeah, Chris. What makes more of an impact at the end of the year when we go towards rules changes? Is it the stuff that the team send, the different teams send in weekly? Um, or is it people getting together and something like, seeing the NFC championship down in 
New Orleans, does that make a bigger impact? That's a really good question, and it's a combination Thank of you. it's a combi- it's a combination. I was of, just going to get to that one. It's a combination of all those things. So the biggest force for making changes is the competition committee. And for people who don't know, competition committee is made up of owners, coaches, and GMs, and then league office staff, the officiating staff, and they they craft their own proposals. So teams send in proposals, and then a competition committee sends in their own proposals. By and large, the competition committee proposals are the ones that gain the most support because they're the, in theory, they've been fully vetted by, you know, a cross section of people with different, you know, sometimes the club might send in a proposal that the rest of the league views as a gripe. Like this is, I'm upset because of X, Y, and Z play. So, but, but it's not taken seriously. Theoretically, when the competition committee sends these proposals in, they've been fully vetted by a cross section of people, all of whom have different priorities. Um, and a lot of this stuff, like we talked about, is cleanup stuff, stuff to just make the, e- the game easier to officiate. You know? So that's a lot of what the competition committee looks at. But then these major changes um, you know, are, are sort of driven by the competition committee and the owners. But, but the stuff that we send in on a week-to-week basis leads to what the officiating department calls the points of emphasis. So we're going to pay special attention to this whatever the rule is. So I sent in and I've t- talked to them extensively about illegal hands to the face on defensive tackles. Fletcher Cox, they're slowing the rush down because Fletcher Cox gets contacted in the face. Um, Fletcher Cox were players of his caliber. So, you know, how do we officiate that more consistently? How do we help the umpires see that foul? How, how can we maybe adjust their mechanics? But like that was something that we sent in um, along with some other clubs that this is something we should really look at because we have to make sure that um, those offensive linemen aren't slowing the rush down by uh, a loophole in the rule or a loophole in the officials mechanic. Super Bowl 52. Did you hear Doug and Nick Foles talk about Philly Philly before? Uh, Can you hear what Doug says to the quarterback? Yeah. So you knew it was coming. Yeah. Oh, that's so. You're the man. You have a great I'm job. Not, I'm, I'm, but no, it's a great. It's a, listen, everybody out there, it, we all we're all blessed to be in the NFL. Believe me, I've walked through the streets. I've walked through the streets of Philadelphia with you, so I know who the man is. Come on, in now. Philadelphia. I'm just a I'm just a little teeny piece. Listen, we thank you so much, John, for taking. Thanks, bud. Oh, let's see, where are we now? Thanks, Chris. Minutes into your, 48 yeah, minutes thanks, of your day into uh, this is... to, 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 just work on those bizarre NFL rules. <laughs> would you <laughs> tell us if they're right? Well, upon further review, and we thank John Ferrari for his time. We kind of aired, Chris Barletto and I. Well, okay, Chris well, Barletto. Right, I, yeah. uh, uh, let's 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 review the first two questions of our bizarre football facts to John Ferrari. Uh, number one, Chris, when uh, there is the kickoff or there's a team that gets scored upon, they must then receive the football. They're, they do not have an option of kicking off again. That would be incorrect on my part. Right. So not John Ferrari, ding ding, one for John Ferrari. Yeah. Question two. After the live snap, the ball is considered uh, a backward pass, right? A well, lateral? it was with the quarterback specifically under center. It really doesn't matter. John was right on this. It is considered, like you said, a, a lateral, and it's a live ball. There so, is no penalty. Right. So John is correct on two well, issues I, there, both of the issues. So he, there's a reason why he's the vice president yes. of of football administration and compliance, <laughs> and we're doing the Eagles. Yes, he, he, did not, that up. he did not get five out of five correct for no reason. <laughs> right. He, he nailed them all, and that's why he's the man. And we thank him for joining us here on the Eagles Live podcast. And we thank you for joining us on the Eagles Live podcast. Later in the week, perhaps, we hear from the NFL, the 2019 regular season schedule, we hope is out ahead of next week's 
2019 NFL Draft. Thanks so much, everyone, for once again joining us on the Eagles Live podcast, presented by Lincoln Financial Group. And despite his faulty fact-checking, thanks to Chris Barletto for putting everything together. We're back next week with more. The Eagles Live podcast marches on. Thanks, everyone. Have yourselves a great Eagles day. And this is Eagles insider Dave Spadaro saying, Fly, Eagles, fly! Fly!